Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work For Him Zone. I hope you're never the same. Right here in I Work For Him, each and every day, we try to challenge you to shift your paradigm from looking at your workplace like a job to a ministry place, to a place of a mission field. Romans 12, 2 talks about that. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Why do I start off with this verse every day? Because so many of us do that. We drive like everybody around here. And if you're in Tampa Bay, it's almost like a defensive mechanism to drive the way people do around here. But we do business the way Non-Christians do business. We, we treat people the way non-Christians treat people. We, 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 we do our taxes the way non-Christians people do taxes. Our, our lives, we, they look just like the world. We're supposed to draw attention. We're supposed to be salt and light. So that's why Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you, which is a work of the Holy Spirit, into a new person by changing the way you think. You know, each and every day on I Work For Him, we try to take a different approach to how we challenge you and me to look at our workplace like a mission field. And today, this is something I we've never done on, on I Work For Him before. We've got Jeff Ruby. He's the founder of Red Rock Leadership. And, and today we're talking about how he uses the book of James to teach leadership within Red Rock Leadership. It's an organization. If you want to find out more about Red Rock Leadership, you can find out more about them online at redrockleadership.com. You know, James 1 Three through four says this, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, 
needing nothing. Now, I don't expect to get there before I die, but boy, I want to work on that because I want an endurance to, to just, I want my faith to thrive inside of my heart and my soul. And that's what we're talking about today. Jeff Ruby with Red Rock Leadership, welcome back to I Work For Him. Good to be here, Jim. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. It's, it's good to have somebody on the other side of the microphone that's just as intense about life as I am. I, I love that. <laughs> well, I don't know. You're pretty intense. Am I, as, am I that intense? I, we'd have to bring our wives and ask that question, yeah. wouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> I had a buddy of mine back in Minnesota. We'd always have an intense contest, and I'd always tell him, listen, you're more intense than I am. He goes, no way. But you know what? An intensity for life that you have and that I have and that we bring to the workplace and we bring to the passion of our, our, of our faith – I'm okay with that. I can go head to head with anybody like that. That's good. Yeah, amen. As we do each and every every show, I always ask my guests to share not only how Christ is working in their lives today, but your story of how you came to Christ, people need to hear. So I want to hear what Christ is doing in your life today, but first start off with how did Christ grab your heart, mind, and soul? Well, you know, Jim, it's um it's a it's kind of, it's a real interesting story. I grew up um in a in a very loving family and um parents who took me to church every Sunday. And um, I, I grew up in Northeast Ohio, up in the uh, Akron, Cleveland area. And, you know, as I kind of went through the motions and got into high school, uh, I I just really never made a connection with uh, with Christ. I, I knew I knew the cast of characters. I knew that there was Jesus. I knew there was Mary and Joseph. And, um, you know, I, I had celebrated in a lot of the traditions that the church had to offer, but there reached a point when um, I got into my high school years where it was just really about me. And, um, you know, I, I had a girlfriend and, and later she became my wife. And, and I kind of just went through this pattern of life, uh, really relying upon myself and, and just trying to be all I could be. And uh, that grew into, uh, into, into business. And I've always been intense, and uh, if, if spiritual, if, if intenseness was a, a spiritual gift, I, you know that, that would be my spiritual <laughs> gift. But so when I got into uh, college and and began to work my way through college, and then get into into business, the one thing I just really, really was was driven to succeed, and I, I was just I was a take no prisoners type guy. I was a top notch sales guy. Whatever I did, just highly competitive, and um, got myself into a situation where um, I. I, I you know, had an opportunity to, to, to work for a couple different companies and rose to the top of those organizations in terms of sales and then started my own business in, in, um, in 2000. I was 30 years old. And so, um, you know, relatively young age and, again, just had tremendous success and, you know, just driven to uh, really please people, uh, please myself, put money in the bank, spend lots of money. And, um, you know, I was sitting with a, a friend of mine who's actually a, who, who was a client at the time. And uh, this was about uh, 2005, actually. He challenged me in a way that really I'd never been challenged before. And he started to ask me uh, some questions about my faith. And, you know, growing up the way I had grown up and, and, and the, the, the pride that I had developed, uh, I, had to, I had all the answers, that the canned answers. So when he was asking me questions like, you know, hey, what's going to happen to you when you die? If you were to not wake up today, where would you, you, know, where would you, where would you awake? And um, I said, I'm not sure what you're getting at. I said, well, would you, you know, do you feel like you, you're, you're good enough to get to heaven? I will say, well, sure I am. I think today I am. Yeah, no, no problem. And um, he was kind of on to me a little bit. And, uh, and I said, listen, let, let's make one thing straight here. I go to church. Okay. I, I put money in the, in the basket and I bring my family to church and I even am in a Bible study. So, um, you know, I'm not sure where you're coming from, but uh, I think I'm in a really good place. And he 
he would he wouldn't let up, and uh, there was just something about the way he was confronting me. It was in a way that that it was it was it was abrupt, but and intense, and a lot like me, but in a way that if I really felt like he cared about me, and um, so I, I, I we we ended that lunch meeting. We came back together again a few weeks later, and he started on me again, and he says, "You know, Jeff, I'm really concerned about your heart," and um, and I said, "Well, what is it that you're concerned about?" And he said, "You know." You know, talk to me about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I said, well, listen, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and I believe that he uh, that He was crucified on the cross. And, and he said, well, you know, who else believes that, don't you? I said, who? And he says, well, the devil does. And I said, okay. And that that, that just kind of took me a little sideways. And, and what was he didn't know what was going on in my, in my heart at that point in time was that my wife and I had um, had— we had really i wouldn't say we we reached an impasse but we we had reached a point in our marriage where um we weren't really growing any closer and she was actually attending a bible study with a friend of hers and a really intense bible study and she was really uh digging into the word and and really trying to share with me and it even told me that she didn't feel like i had any peace or joy in my life and um boy i, I fight tooth and nail when people try to put me on the spot like that <laughs> and I went, I went home, and for a couple of days, it just wore on me, wore on me. It wouldn't go away. The feeling wouldn't go away. And so I opened up my, my journal, and, and he had kind of shared uh, kind of the plan of salvation with me. And I didn't have a moment where I really ex- accepted Christ at that moment in time. I was convinced that I had already accepted him in some way. And, uh, but in my heart, I knew I didn't. And so I prayed at the kitchen table, actually at my desk in my office, in, in my home, uh, to pray to receive Christ on January twenty fifth, 2005. And uh, I remember waking up, opened my eyes, you know, looking around, and, and, and I didn't see any lightning. I didn't feel any thunder, and there was no earthquake. And I thought, well, okay, um, we'll see what happens. And I didn't say anything, didn't say anything. And, and uh, finally, my wife started to say, you know, what's going on? What, what do you, what's wrong? I said, well, I just want to let you know I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And uh, she was, she was, she was a, you know, appalled, ecstatic. You know, she's really excited about that. And but, Jim, it's important that I add this piece into my testimony because this, this is really kind of what makes the story. God gives us each of us a story. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, I spent uh, a good uh, two years and uh, just basking in my sin. And, um, you know, while I know I turned my heart over to Jesus, um, th- there wasn't a point of surrender. I didn't, I didn't really surrender my life to him. He wasn't my Lord. Uh, he was my Savior, but he wasn't my Lord. And that's a big difference that I really want to include. Um, in, in my testimony. And, you know, I, I, I kind of uh, had this moment until 2007. You know, a lot happened between 2005, 2007. My, my family moved to, uh, we, we moved our family down to Florida. Uh, I sold my business. I got involved in another business. And I was drinking more and I was having uh, more uh, time in looking at things and, and talking about things and saying things that I shouldn't, have said, I shouldn't say. And I kind of knew it. And, and until I had a moment um, on uh, January 13th, which had to be my wife's birthday in 2007, where it was a, it was a really, really, um, really, really low point. And um, I, I had a, mo- a, a night where I just I had abused alcohol pretty bad. And, and I and I woke up in the morning and um, and I felt some sorrow in my heart, not some sorrow, but I felt some sorrow. I felt sorrow like I'd never felt before. And, um, you know, I just I felt the the power of a loving father who, who just was letting me know how disappointed he was with me. And um, I remember just sitting there thinking about my daughters who were 12 and, and 8 or 9 at the time and thinking, boy, 
this is going to be a pattern that's going to perpetuate. Uh, this is this isn't going to be good. I I I'm, I've got one foot in and I've got one foot out. And I'm living a double life and I'm and I'm doing things I shouldn't do and I'm not even successful. You know, I, I felt like I was making money, but I was spending money. I had no joy. I had no peace. And I just again got open my journal and I just I just started just to lay it all out. And I said, you know, just Lord, just take it from me. And uh, He did. And uh, He cleaned me up and and dusted me off. And I'll tell you what. Since 2007, it's been a – this is not the same Jeff Ruby. You, you never would know. And uh, uh, God is good, and uh, he, he's got me on the right path, and, and, that, and that's, a, that's a great thing. So. so fast forward to today, because I, I know that when I went through that same experience, a little bit younger in life, I, I, at first I thought, well, there's just a few things got to get cleaned up, and I'll be there. You know? But, yeah. okay, now I'm 36 six years into that experiment. I'm like, okay, there's still more. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot more. Where, where are you at today? What, what's God, what have you seen God do amazingly in your life recently? Well, you know, it, there's a scripture that, that really um, lays on my heart uh, that I just, I always go to. And, and it's Philippians 4, 7. It just says, you know, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. And, um, you know, I, I, whenever, you know, Thankfully, you know, I look at my relationship with the Lord as as my relationship with my kids. Um, my kids' kid really frustrate me. They can really make me, uh, you know, feel feelings of of, of uh, strong emotion. You know, and, and just say it, anger. <laughs> anger uh, you know, and, and and I and I think to myself, boy, even the times when I'm trying to protect them the most and love on them the most are the times where I think that, boy, they they seems like. You know, there are times when their actions hurt me the most. But the fact of the matter is, you know, I, I never stop loving them. And, and I never I never turn my back on them. And, and I continue to pursue them and reach out to them. And, you know, that's what that's what God does to us. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, that's for sure. He's such a loving and faithful father. And it's, it's unlike any of us. It doesn't matter how great our, our earthly fathers are. You know, um, they'll never compare, right? And I know I'll never compare to my heavenly Father, and I tell my kids that. And so, you know, yes, I have my slips and falls, and the days when I have to continuously confess back to Him that I know what I'm doing is wrong, and I ask for His forgiveness. So, which He says, "Listen, you're already forgiven." You know, I appreciate the the community that you have with me and the relationship I have you have with me, son. But here's the thing, you know. Uh, you could never do anything that would ever cause me to stop loving you. And that, to me, continues to want, that just makes me want to have a deeper relationship with him every day. So, yes, I slip and fall. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a mess at times. You know, that's my wife. I'm, I, I could be a complete mess. But fact is, I, I have him and, and I have peace that surpasses uh, any kind of understanding. So I, I love the way you described it. It is. You know, it's everybody's story and how we came to the Lord is is different, yet it all comes down to that our Heavenly Father loves us so much, and He was chasing you. He was reaching out to you. He wanted a relationship with you, and He didn't give up, and He brought that buddy. How many times have you thanked that buddy from back back there in 2004 and 2005 for pounding you to get your attention? Oh, I I reach out to him often, and and I tell him, hey, boy, you have have spiritual grandchildren here in, uh, in, in, in Tampa, and I encourage him and tell him don't 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 stop. You know that's right. Uh, you you've done a good you've done a good thing. Well, and really, that's the for the listeners out there today. Really, for all of us, is just to recognize that 
we we've got people in our lives that we need to be aggressive with, maybe a little abrasive with to draw attention to the fact that people may just not really know Jesus. They're very religious by nature, but they're not really loving the Lord. And we need to question them. And obviously it's the work of the Holy Spirit that really does the work, but you got to be willing to be used. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, one, one quick thing that I will say is kind of interesting as I sit here and, uh, and, and and speak and, and share that testimony. You know, there may be some of my clients that are listening right now that have never heard that testimony, and um, and, and I just pray that they see something different in me, and maybe you know, uh, and it's not a complete surprise to them. But I really believe all my clients know where I stand in my faith. Uh, but you know, one thing I just want to say is real quick because I know you want to get to some point. Ask me some questions here, but um, the one thing that that really that really God really impressed upon my heart when I started Red Rock Leadership was that I was to, I, I was to be a, uh, the leader of a company, a Christian that, that leads a company and serves everyone, right? So that, um, you know, we don't, we don't have a, a logo or, or anything that really broadcasts the fact that we're Christians. What we want people to see is that, hey, listen, we speak the truth, and the things that we teach and the things that we do are rooted in something that's real, not artificial. Right. And um, so it's, uh, it's kind of interesting that, that you would bring that up. So it's, it's good. You know, what I, you know what I like is I'm sitting here thinking, you know, on those days I want to take a vacation day, I'm thinking you need to take my show for a day. I think it would be great. <laughs> Does everybody else think that? I mean, really, seriously, call into the studio line and say, yep, I vote for Jeff. He could do a, he could do a substitute day. I love that. You know, we, I want to talk about Red Rock leadership and, and what you told me at the last time we were together, you said, I, I think it was the last time we had lunch at your favorite smokehouse. What's the name of that place? What's that? Mission Barbecue. Mission Barbecue. Yeah, it was great. great now, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's good, as, as good as Four Rivers, but it was pretty stinking close. Well, I don't want to start a barbecue war on the air. I know. The yeah, barbecue wars in Tampa Bay are serious. Now, Minnesota, there's like so so few choices. Good barbecue was like almost impossible to find. Rudy's barbecue is probably the best. But down here, there, there are everybody's got an opinion on barbecue. Oh yeah, it's like everybody's got an opinion on college football. Right. Again, I grew up in Minnesota. College football was a complete joke. <laughs> so you know, everybody, nobody ever talks about college football. Okay, so I want to talk about Red Rock leadership, but it, it really fits into your testimony. You know what? The other thing that was funny is that as I was preparing for this, Red Rock leadership. What's a red rock? Well, that's a ruby. I never, ever put that together. Yeah. I am not kidding. <laughs> I'm just like, really? Okay. And I've known, I've known you a long time. Okay. So listen, you used to tell people that going to the self-help section of the, li- of the library or a bookstore was the only place to go visit. But I got to tell you, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I like reading fiction every once in a while. It's just fun to escape. But why did you say that to people? Oh, my. Um, so what... I, I ran a business between uh, 2000 and 2005 that was a uh, a training business. And now remember, I, I accepted Christ as my Savior in in 2005. So prior to that, I, I was um, I really didn't know any different, any, anything different than myself. Now, um, I never I never knew any better. So that doesn't make it right, but. You know, I didn't understand God's word, and the, the one thing that I believe is that everybody believes that God can fix all things. Everybody. So whether people believe in God or not, they believe God can fix all things. And let me explain, because we're talking about a big G or a little G. Right. Um, so before I knew Jesus, um, I was my own God. And, and and I really believe that's where a lot of a lot of people are, is that if they don't, if they don't submit to a to, to God and and to Jesus and and recognize the truth of the word, well, then they're their own God. And so therefore, you know, 
when we're our own God, what do we have to do? We have to continue to strive to get better. Um, so how do we get better? Well, we work on ourselves, right? And as we work on ourselves, we get credit when we do get a little bit better, and we give ourselves that credit. And so the only way for me to feel like I was ever going to get better was continue to work on me. And sure. so whenever I would go to the self-help book section of the bookstore, I'd find a lot of books that would talk about self-actualization, you know, dealing with fear, uh, conquering your unconscious mind, and, and all these different kinds of things, finding your center. Uh, and, and what I began to understand is that, you know, as, and I really didn't understand it until I got into God's Word. So, I mean, if I would have tried to, to, to refute it while I didn't know God's Word, it would have never worked. So, therefore, before I knew God's Word, that was why I told people I, I, would, I would thrive off that stuff. Just keep finding your center. Just keep, you know, you know get better, get better, get better. And it's all about self. Um, it's so untrue. It is untrue. Well, so after you came to Christ, is that when you realized that that was really just a lie, the self-help stuff? Because really— we can't help ourselves. We always seem to we because we get so blinded to who we are. That's right. You know, many aspects of self, um, anything points to humanism, and um, you know, it, humanism typically refers to a non-theistic life centered on human action. Right, puts so, man at the man in the God position instead of God in the God. Position. Right, right, and um, you know, in that case, we look to science instead of God's word in order to understand the world, and you know. My thing is, it's, it's just, a, it's a worldview. And so, you know, the most important thing I have to understand that, that I could ever tell anybody is, hey, listen, I, I don't, I'm not trying to convince anybody uh, because nobody convinced me uh, except God's word. And so when I got in to God's word and, and began to read through the Bible one time and then read through the Bible a second time and then read through the Bible a third time um, and put down all the other things I was reading, uh, with some guidance of, of a pastor or, or somebody who's discipling me uh, or a coach, uh, I began to understand that hey, as I pray and read, God reveals things to me. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? Every day. The Bible's a, it's, it's a rich history book. I mean, there's, there's, the, the Bible is documented not just inside that book, but plenty of resources outside the Bible confirm the events in the Bible to be true. So um, it, it just, you know, it, it's, it, it really is amazing. But, um, so how did you take that passion and drive for improving yourself to seeking to teach others? I mean, you you mentioned I mean you're you've got a passion for helping people understand the biblical perspective to emotional intelligence, which to me is a big whole lot of words. I'm not really sure what it means, but what what are you trying to help people understand and and how how did your drive for being self-helped up really turn into wanting to help others because to turn from helping yourself and focusing on yourself to helping others that's a big turn in itself oh no question i you know i didn't realize how much energy i was expending um as i was saying i was trying to help other people but the reality was i was just feeding jeff's ego and um and so i tell you what it takes a lot of energy so my thing is this if if you're struggling in management or leadership and you're drained and your energy is just waning and you just can't fi- figure out why people are draining you so much um look no further than the fact that you may be the center of your own universe and that's what was happening to me so when i began to understand hey listen you know Again, I have a I have a heavenly father who's already kind of laid out the path for me, and and all I really need to do is fulfill that path that he's laid out for me, and begin to to seek him, and he would provide everything in order for me, and you know what he tells us in his word is take care of his people, 
you know, take care of his people. And so I really believe that leadership and, and the way that we take the way that we take care of people is leadership. So I believe that we can teach eight year olds, nine year olds, 10 year olds leadership. I think we can teach 90, 90 and 95 year old people and everybody in, in between leadership, because at the end of the day, leadership is taking care of other people and, and that's guiding them towards uh, towards something towards something better. And so with, with that motivation, uh, really everything changed for me. But um, yeah, as as I looked for and searched for the biblical meaning of emotional intelligence, um, I was really troubled because there is a lot to be said for um, a psychiatrist or a psychotherapist like uh, you know Carl Jung, who coined the term collective unconscious. And you know, believe it or not, he believes that that planted in our minds from birth are just unconscious patterns that we pass down through the same species uh, through generation, through generation, through generation. So the story of Adam and Eve is nothing that was planted in our minds, it, and it's just passed down from generation. So when I look and, and start to look into emotional intelligence, even some of the teaching on emotional intelligence can slide towards self-help. And so I began to say, hold on a minute. If I'm really going to do this and do it the right way, I'm not cramming the Bible down people's throat by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, matter of fact, many of my clients may never even understand that 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 I have this sort of, you know, belief system behind it, but they get taught that way. Jeff, I'm not sure I really get this whole emotional intelligence thing. So I think bringing the biblical perspective to it doesn't help. Tell me what it is. Sure. Well, here's what it is. Emotional intelligence is one's ability uh, to recognize um, their emotions and other people's emotions. Okay. And it's used to guide thinking and behavior, and it plays a major role in making key decisions, um, especially when we're overcome with emotion. So uh, to give you an example, um, you ever hear the term, your greatest strength is your greatest weakness? Absolutely, and it's so true. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so let's just take uh, your and my drive, right? We, we have, a, we have, a, lo- we have a, a, big, a drive, right? We have this well, ambition. What's your, wait a minute, let's, just, let's, just, <laughs> let's really flesh this out. What do you think your greatest strength is? I think my greatest, one of my greatest strengths is ambition and drive. I, I, I'm going to throw that out there. And I'll say that my greatest strength is the ability to speak in front of crowds with no fear. Okay. And so the way I see that, and I have seen it all my life, I got foot and mouth disease. Okay. Yep. So I have no problem speaking. And I really, God uses me very often to speak boldly into people's lives. But my mouth also gets me in trouble when I just plain and simple say stupid stuff when I'm tired, when I'm not thinking, when I've stopped praying and not been praying enough. But my mouth can be used for great things. And also I can stumble over it like it's a sewer pit. Right. So he, here's the situation. The way our brains... Wait, wait, you jumped. You didn't know. You have to talk about your drive. How does? Okay. How, so what's the negative side of your drive? Well, so my greatest... One of my greatest strengths is I have ambition and drive. So if you want to get something uh, completed, if you need a problem solved, I, I'm the guy. Okay, but here's the thing. I don't have an off switch. So when, when, <laughs> when, 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 I, when I'm powering through something, I will work and work and work. So take, for example, I, I love to do some work around the house. So I might tear apart the bathroom. Well, if I start at 8 in the morning, if my wife... Uh, can't convince me to turn things off, I'll still be working at 9 or 10 o'clock at night. And by that time, things are breaking. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I begin to lose my lose my ability to make reasonable decisions. And then what do I do? I slip up and say mean say things to your wife. things to the people <laughs> around me. Yeah. And, and so that's called a breach of emotional intelligence. Got it. 
And so, Ooh, that was a great example. I, yeah. I, I really that was good. I like that. So the the key here is to be able to recognize that and be able to to some level be able to um, uh, regulate it. And so. Let me explain how the brain works because it's really important. So what our, as our brains were made, right, so we're, we're, we come from a creator. And, and as we were made, we're each created uniquely. Our brains are made as such that as, as it forms, you have the backside of your brain, which is the primitive brain. That's the oldest part of your brain. And then the frontal lobe forms. And, and so that as that frontal lobe forms, that part of your brain houses logic. The back part houses the emotion. And there's a gland back there called the amygdala. And that amygdala houses our stress hormones and our um, adrenaline and all that kind of thing. And what happens is, as as we get weakened by the avoid state, by around people that annoy us or things that make us angry or fight or flight mentality. So it's not just anger and I I tend to lean towards how I am, but but there are other people who who aren't angry, but they're just passive and they get more passive. So they get that fight or flight thing going on. And and what we don't understand is that at some point in time, it can happen to us and we don't even know it's happening. And so there are five uh, key skills to emotional intelligence. Okay, There's, there's personal awareness. That's the ability to recognize one's influence on another. So that's my ability to recognize my influence on others. Integrity, which is my ability uh, to let my intentions match my action, my, my intentions match my actions. Uh, the third component or skill is internal motivation, and that's the ability to do the right things for the right reasons. And then there is empathy and compassion, which is my ability to recognize the emotion in others. And then there's social skills, which is the ability to uh, build positive relationships. Now, recognize each one of those skills takes ability. But what drives that ability is willingness to persevere. And so I, I also look at those five key ingredients of emotional intelligence. I say those are the five key skills that really make us mature. And so sure. So we still haven't talked about how this relates to leadership. No, we haven't got there yet, but that's okay. We're, we're, we're laying the groundwork. We'll, we'll have to do part two of a show. Right. Well, let me, let me answer your question you asked me before the break, which was, um, I believe it was, you know, as I searched out the biblical meaning of emotional intelligence, what led me to the book of James? Yeah. I was um, preparing for a high school church camp. I was going to be a counselor, and uh, I was studying James because that was, that was our chosen um, the passage for the passage, week or whatever. Right. Yeah. The book of the week that we're going to study. And um, I was reading, and, and you already said it early in the show, but um, James 1.4 says, that, now check this out. I, I looked at different versions, and this comes right out of the NIV 1984 version, by the way. It's important. Um, but this one says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be complete and mature in all that you do. And what's interesting was God had already given me, I was already teaching this, and it, it just put it all together. And I, I looked, I said, hold on a second. Look at this. It says, this is, there is biblical proof, right? Right here is, this is biblical, right? So God gives us the ability or the the ability to persevere. We choose whether or not we want to persevere or not. And and then as we persevere, our level of emotional intelligence improves, okay? Each one of those skills improves. And then that's when leadership takes over. All right. So let me step back for a second. You mentioned that you do like an EQ assessment. Is that related to the emotional intelligence? Does that help uncover that? 
It, it does. So it, what we do is we do what's called a trimetrics EQ assessment. Yeah, okay, which is another big word. You're, this is not a doctoral class. I did not go to get my doctorate. Trimetrics just means three ways. That's correct. Okay. We measure three. three Why com- do you say trimetrics? It's three ways. It's, it's three, three way. Three way. Because it just impressed people. Is that what it is? That's, well, it sounds it sounds It sounds cool. It does. Right. Okay. All right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, anyway, what it, so what it does, it, me, it measures your motivation, it measures your behavior, and then it measures your EQ, okay. your emotional quotient. So this kind of thing, a lot of times people, there are some people, like I think you and I are like this way, we're constantly evaluating ourselves, certainly since Christ, we're evaluating ourselves, trying to like, okay, wow, I can learn from that one. Boy, I screwed up that one. Are you hard on yourself? Do you find yourself hard on yourself? Oh like crazy yeah okay so and that's the way I've, i'm like i don't need somebody to pound me i'm usually pounding myself harder than other people are pounding me although it's still good to have somebody help you see the trees for the forest so you've got this test that really what's well, an assessment we don't call them tests because right. that test freaks some people out you this assessment to help people recognize these things about themselves so what were the three different pieces again so it, it measures your behaviors okay so that your problem solving ability your supporting ability your analytical ability your persuading ability that's your behaviors. Mm-hmm. It also then measures your drivers or your motivators. And so those are your values. So if there are six motivators we test for, and it really helps you understand how, why, how and why you are able to get along in a, in a particular culture. So it answers a lot of questions about the way we behave. And then it answers, then you also, the, the, the third part of it is you're measuring the emotional intelligence. That's right. Who's the best kind of person to take this? Is it a leadership role kind of person? Somebody in a supervisory position, manager, leader? Is that a good person to take this? You know what? We, we've given this to anyone from a teenager to, to people that are, that are older so, uh, and more mature. But the one thing I would say is that we'll, we'll go ahead and not just do the assessment but provide a coaching session with it because awesome. it, it, it really would take some explaining to uh, to kind of to, to really lay it out there. How many times had you read the book of James before you saw this connection between what you teach every day and what, I mean, what dotted the eyes were? How many times had you been through James before you saw that? Well, you know, I've been through the Bible completely through the Bible three times, and, and James is a book that um, I go to regularly because it's a it's a – that's that's our daily guide, right? That's, that's our Christian daily walking guide in my mind. So there's a lot of times I'll go to to James, and James four seven has been one of my life verses for a long time. But so, you know, it's amazing because as, as we pray for God to reveal something to us, it, it, it He speaks to us through our Word. I mean, He really does. Not audibly, doesn't speak audibly to me, but He shows me things. And so, uh, if I've been through the Book of James twenty times. Um, it didn't jump off the page like it did until I started actually praying and, and really kind of seeking his guidance on this thing because I really felt like I wanted to I really wanted to align this with, with, with biblical principle. What shocks me most, and as I studied my Bible, and I've been through it 33 times, is every time I go through it, doesn't matter. Every time I go through, every day something new whacks me upside the head. But the book of James, one of those books I've been, I've been studying the New Testament just this year, just the New Testament, just the epistles, really from uh, Romans all the way to Revelation. So I'm on my third time through this year. And, and when, you, when you put into the perspective that James was written by Jesus's half-brother, so a guy that grew up with Jesus, who lived with Jesus, and they just thought he was, well, I don't know what they thought. He, he, James doesn't say, well, this is what I thought he was before he came out as the Savior. But we don't know. But Well, you know, it's interesting because in John 7, 5, we do know that, J- that Jesus' brothers 
uh, sort of taunted him a little bit and didn't really believe necessarily that he is who he said he was. So right, so there yeah. is some of that, and, and then to see that James was really was the was really a leader in the Jerusalem church after Christ rose from the dead. So it's it's fascinating because how hard would it be for you? you you're not thirty anymore, but if, if you had thirty and all of a sudden you came out and said, "By the way, I'm the Son of God." I mean, how many people would go, "Sure, you're the Son of God," and I'm Gandhi, you right. know, whatever. I mean, so it, it how hard would that be? Oh. I couldn't even imagine that's and that's why I've found it so fascinating. You know, five books, five books of James, five core skills, um, and and I got you know scripture to sort of back up each one of these uh, skills. And it's just to me, it's it just um, it's it's just tremendous. So. All right, so people can find out more about this leadership. We're out of time. People can find out more about this on your website. RedRockLeadership.com. They can, I mean, your phone number, contact information is all out there. Would you come back in October for us to do a second show? We got it. We actually have to dig through these five pieces. Can you come back for us to do a second show? I'd, I'd love to. All right, we, uh, got, we got to do that because we just told people we we're going to tell them, but all we did was tell them that you did it. We didn't tell them anything about it. We've run out of time, but could you just talk about the five skills of emotional intelligence? Over the break, Jeff and I have planned. He's going to be back here on the 15th of October to talk about this again, and we'll really dig into these five skills of emotional intelligence. But, Jeff, what are those again? Yep, their personal awareness. Okay, which means what? Uh, that means our ability to recognize one's influence on others. Okay. Our, our ability to recognize our influence on others. Okay. N- number two is integrity, and that's our ability to let our intentions match our actions. Okay. Right. Internal motivation, which is the ability to do the right things for the right reasons. Empathy and compassion, which is the ability to recognize the emotion in others. And then social skills, which is the ability to build positive relationships. So, Jeff, as we look, we come back in October, we're going to details on this, but when people understand these things about themselves, what kind of, an, certainly from a biblical perspective, what kind of a difference does it make? Well, here's the thing. Trust, collaboration, synergy, and character are, are the core ingredients. Those are the, those are the core of a leader. And so here's the thing. The best form of leadership is still servant leadership by example, okay? So if you want to build trust, collaboration, synergy, and character, you have got to build these skills. That's the only way to bring those skills to the, to the surface of be a better leader is to increase your level of perseverance. All right, so you got to tune back in. Each and every day we bring all kinds of fantastic things to you. Jeff Ruby, thanks so much. Thank you, Jim. You know, we learned today that our faith can impact our workplace really by, you know, sometimes we have to be a little abrasive. Sometimes we have to be loving and abrasive, but honest with people, because that's what the guy that led Jeff Ruby to Jesus Christ, he had to pound him over the head a little bit. And that's not to say that Jesus did that, too. He was a great example of using a little bit of intensity to get through to people. He did that with Zacchaeus. He did that with Matthew, the tax collector. He did it with the woman at the well. Just blunt honesty. Our friends need to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. We're not doing them any favors by pussyfooting around the truth. we got to stop being mamby, bamby, weenie butt Christians out there and really look at the impact we need to make. Jesus has you right where you are each and every day in that workplace on purpose. He's given you that as your mission field. And in your mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower and I own my own business, but ultimately, ultimately, I work for him.